We'll begin reading in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we'll begin reading in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testifying you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The Apostle Paul is comforting persecuted Christians in Rome by redirecting their focus on the gospel. He loved them. Paul loved the believers in Rome, people he had probably never met. He loved them. And he was concerned for their emotional and their spiritual well-being. So to solidify his comfort for them, he reminds them of God's love for them. His divine sovereignty by showing how Jesus Christ redeemed them and redeemed us by dying on the cross for our sins. By being buried and then rising again the third day, as scripture foretold. Using the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the fabric, Paul weaves a blanket of understanding of God's divine will and his plan for mankind, and he's done that over the past few chapters. In chapter 12, he begins discussing what our response to the gospel should be. How then shall we live? One response and the first and most important response that you make 
is to repent of your sins and to trust Jesus Christ for salvation, to believe in the gospel to redeem you, to believe in the gospel for your forgiveness, to, re to believe in the gospel for your transformation, to know that the gospel is the price that was paid and the means by which you will be accepted into God's kingdom, whereby he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's your first response to the gospel. But now that we have done that, what's our ongoing response to the gospel? How then shall we live? In Romans chapter 12, and we're going to do this over five chapters. In Romans chapter 12, we're going to see what our overall attitude should be. What should be the attitude of a believer? What should be the attitude of a child of God? We will also see our function in the church. And we will see the hallmarks of the life of a believer. What does the life of a believer look like? First, let's look at our overall attitude. In verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And if you're reading a King James Version this morning, it says your reasonable service. And you're going to say, Leland, which is it? And I'm going to tell you, it's the same thing. In Christianity, we have come up with this idea that worship is something that only happens at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning. And some have even narrowed it down further than that, that worship is just the singing of the hymns and the music service. Nothing could be further from the truth. Worship is not confined to the church worship service. And in that service, worship is not confined to the singing of the hymns. Everything we do here during morning worship is an act of worship. That's why we call it morning worship. The reading of the scriptures, the preaching of the word, the sharing of specials, the giving of testimonies, the, the, the prayers that we lift up before God. It is all acts of worship. But then when you go forward from here and you're raising your children and you are raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, you are conducting an act of worship. When you are ministering to others around you and you are sharing God's truth with people around you, you are worshiping. When you are doing what God designed you to do, you are worshiping. It's an act of worship. You're proclaiming God's greatness. You're proclaiming his glory. You're, you're proclaiming his perfection. Y'all ever seen the movie Mom's Night Out? I know Vinny and Jessica have. If you haven't seen it, it's a funny movie. Um, Alex Kendrick from the Kendrick Brothers is in it, so, you know, and Patricia Heaton from Everybody Loves Raymond's in it, so you know it's got to be a good movie. Premise of the movie is one of the moms wants to have a night out with all the other moms, and she's got this perfect evening planned, but everything that can go wrong goes wrong with comical genius. And toward the end of the movie, she's there in the waiting area of the city jail, long story, and sitting next, this evening really went bad. And sitting next to her is a biker who's portrayed by Trace Atkins. I'm telling you, this is a good movie. I don't recommend many from the pulpit. A lot of times I'll say, okay, here's a movie. Y'all shouldn't watch it. This one you can watch. And Trace Atkins proceeds to tell this woman about this mother eagle on this live video camera on the internet that he's been watching. And how glorious it is to God that this eagle mother caring for her young is simply doing what God created her to do. You glorify God and you worship God when you do what God created you 
and designed you and called you to do. Your reasonable service is your spiritual worship. Now to present, Paul says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. To present means to place at the disposal of. It means to make yourself available. It means to be available. It means to be able to. It means to make your purpose serving the Lord. And my question to you this morning is, are you available to serve the Lord? Can you be bothered to serve the Lord? To do what God created you to do, to do what God commanded you to do, to do what God called you to do, to do what God has told us to do as a church. Are we available for this or are we too busy? Because you know what we've done in America today? We've gotten busy. We've gotten, the world has gone and gotten itself in one great big hurry. In 1960-something, CBS News did a special on the House of Tomorrow. And they predicted satellite TV, you know, multiple channels, hundreds of channels to choose from. And you could just click on whatever program you wanted to watch and you could watch it. That you would work from home because the technology would be there for you to electronically transmit your documents to the home office. And the communication would be there. This is the 1960s. Now, it didn't all come about the way they predicted it, but, I mean, we're there. If you don't have satellite TV, maybe you have a streaming service. I mean, I can sit down at my TV and scroll through the menus of two different streaming, streaming services. Well, some of these make me want to scream. And I can select a movie from just about any time period and watch it. And the House of Tomorrow special said that in the future, Americans will have more leisure time than they will know what to do with. Did that come true? No, they missed it. Because they underestimated our ability to keep ourselves busy. And in all of our busyness, in all of our busyness, we have found ourselves too busy for the Lord too busy to center our lives on the Lord, to live out our purpose in him, too busy to give him our reasonable service and to make ourselves available to him. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And notice that, a living sacrifice. Would you die for the Lord today? I hope you'd say yes. I mean, you're not getting in line to, but but I hope that if it came down to it, you would die for the Lord. But the Lord's not saying to present your bodies as a dying sacrifice. He's not commanding us to die for him. He says to present ourselves a living sacrifice. I told Jessica, when we first got together, I'll do anything for you. And what I meant by that was fighting dragons and slaying dragons and going off to battle. I was not aware that folding laundry was going to be part of this equation. You will die for your children, yes, but will you live for your children? You may die for Jesus, but he wants you to live for him. Will you live for him? And what does that mean? It means to present yourself a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do for the Lord? Are you willing to take your profession and your standing in life and use it for the Lord. I'm not telling you you can't do your profession anymore. I'm not telling you to walk away from your job, to walk away from your home, to take a vow of poverty. We're not talking about any of that. Can you use that for 
the honor and glory of the Lord. Can you use what you do for the Lord? You say, Leland, that's kind of hard. I worked at an air conditioning manufacturer once, and I do mean once. It was one night only. I was working for a temp agency, so don't think too badly of me. They, they assigned me to Astro Air. Astro Air makes the air conditioning coils that go into your air conditioners. My job was to grab these coils that were roughly the size of those offering plates, grab the coil, put an aluminum plate on the side of it, and get the riveting gun and go beep, beep, beep. And I did this for 14 hours straight. How do you do that for God? How do you, and that's like, that's a menial job. It's 14 bucks an hour. I wanted to go back the next day, like, no, your services will not be required tonight. I was heartbroken. But how do you do that for God? Something like that. Maybe, I mean, you can minister to the guy next to, to you. You can be available to counsel those who work at the plant in need. But maybe it's why you go in there and you rivet those same three rivets night after night after night. Maybe the reason you do that is waiting back home. You see what I'm saying? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be available? Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not allow this world to shape your values. Do not allow its values to to shape your values, and do not operate by the virtues and the values of this world. And that's easy to do because the virtues and values of this world are everywhere you look. You pull up Facebook, you watch TV. I mean, they call them programs for a reason. They're programming you. you, you they're, they're all around. There's a hidden message. There's a hidden theme. There is a, there is a moral to the story in everything that you read and everything that you watch. I'm not telling you to get rid of your TV. I'm telling you not to let the TV shape the way you think. I'm not telling you to let the book you read, if, unless it's the Bible, but not to let the novel you read shape the way you think, what you value, what you see is good, what you see is bad. Our values and our virtues are to be set by Scripture. Do not try to look like the world. Do not try to convince the world that you are just like them because you know what? You're not. You are not like the world. You are different. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your transformation is a spiritual process and God works it. But it will not take hold in your life until you consistently renew your mind. And the renewing of your mind happens when you spend time in the word, when you spend time in the scriptures, when you spend time in the Bible, it renews your mind. It refocuses your values and what you find as being important on what God finds as being important. Why do you think we go through books of the Bible here at LifePoint? Why do you think that when I do a sermon series, I do a sermon series starting in chapter one of a book of the Bible, and I go through as much of that scripture as possible? Why do we do that? Why do it? Is it because I'm too lazy to think of something to preach next week? And if I just have a, a passage, it's, that's already been answered for me? No. I mean, I, I do have a tendency to, to try to make things easier on myself. I'm not going to deny that. But the reason we do that is by going through books of the Bible, we get a sense of what's really important to God. 
I can sit here and pick and choose different Bible passages, different scriptures, different things, and I can convince myself of what's really important to God, and in reality, it's not. So when you go through the Bible, passage by passage, through book by book, you get a sense of what the points of emphasis for God really are. And that's renewing your mind. That's renewing your mind. We start in the scriptures. Through this transformation and renewing of your mind, you may be able to test things. Try these things out. Make sure these are the real deal. Test ideas. Test desires. Test doctrines. Ideas. People will come up with an idea. Let's, this is something to do. Is this a good idea? Let's test it according to the scriptures. What would Jesus do? What does the Bible say about it? What does God want us to be doing? There was one afternoon back when uh, Jessica, the kids, and I used to go to Abilene almost every weekend. It doesn't take much to entertain me. But there was a bookstore there called Family Christian Bookstores, and there was a book I found on the shelf, and it was basically this, this preacher who took a atheist friend of his, and they went to different churches of different denominations. And this atheist friend was questioning him in every one of these services. I mean, they went to a Protestant, like a Presbyterian service. They went to a Pentecostal service. They went to a Church of Christ service. They went to a Baptist service. And this atheist friend and this preacher is asking him throughout all these services, is this what God told you to do? That's a challenging question. Is it what, we, is it what God told us to do? What are our ideas? Do they line up with what God wants us to do? What about our desires? What about our doctrines? Our desires? Think about desires. Now, I think it would be pretty easy for me to, to test this one out. If, like, the Arizona Cardinals called me and wanted me to be their general manager, is that something God wants me to do? I think I could answer that pretty quickly. No. Okay? Now, in my mind, I can justify this. God wants me to be a good provider for my family, and making six figures as the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals is a pretty good way to provide for your family. Okay? I could give a lot of that money to the church. I could tithe like crazy. You know, and I, but like if we look at it in the scriptures, what does God want me doing? He wants me bringing my children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He wants me to provide for them, but he wants me preaching the gospel. As much as I like the Arizona Cardinals, State Farm Stadium is an amazing place. Football is fun, but God does not want me to be the general manager for the Arizona Cardinals. I have to settle for playing Madden. Okay? That's what I've got to do. Um, but our desires, that's easy. That's easy. I mean, you don't have to be a theologian to figure that one out. What about this one? A friend of mine, Brother Ray Brooks, pastor, longtime pastor, Long Branch Missionary Baptist Church. I think he's been there like 60 some odd years now. I'm not exaggerating. <sighs> President Emeritus of Texas Baptist Institute Seminary. His first year in the ministry. He's pastoring a little church that's struggling in Corsicana, Texas. And this bigger church calls him. They've got a parsonage. They've got a full-time ministry. He wouldn't rely on the cotton crop anymore. He could just focus on his ministry. It's a big church with a choir program, a music program, a youth program. And he says, Leland, it was amazing. He goes, I could just see myself behind that pulpit, hundreds of people out in front of me. The, the singing, he says, was just so uplifting they called me to be their pastor. He says, and I don't know whether I should go pastor that, big, that bigger church. That does seem to be the trajectory that most preachers follow. You know, they start out in a small church, get called to a bigger church. 
But yet this church I was pastoring was having problems. Should I stay with them? Now, how do you make that decision? See, the issue is not us being able to determine between good and evil. You ought to be able to nail that one. That ought to be a given. But what about when you're, because is it a bad thing to pastor a bad church? A big church? (laughs) As I get older, those moments are going to be more comical. Is it a sin to pastor a big church? Is it a bad thing to pastor a big church? I say no. Some of the greatest ministries we have seen have come out of large churches. Okay? Is it a bad thing to pastor a small church? No. We've seen some pretty powerful ministry that has made impacts on lives through the ministries of small churches. Nobody knows about them because they didn't make the front page of Christianity Today, but it did happen. So which, All the underground churches that we don't personally know. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Brother Brooks, what's his decision maker here? He has to know the perfect and good will of God. And when you're gospel-centered and you're seeing the world through the eyes of grace and mercy and love and self-sacrifice, that decision becomes clearer. A troubled church, a big church. Brother Brooks said, I didn't know if I was making the right decision or not, but I knew that if I was going to make a mistake, if I was going to have to answer for a mistake I made before God, I would at least want to tell God I was trying to help people. He stayed with a smaller church. That's how he made his decision. How do you weigh the good versus the good? You've got to be renewing your mind. You've got to be in the scripture by testing these things by the word of God, which has renewed your mind, and not looking for a Bible verse that says, Thou shalt surely go over and join this other church, but rather the principle that the scripture gives you through the gospel, those decisions become easier to make. And you know what? If you make the wrong one, God's grace will still lead you to where he wants you to be and bless you. I think if he had taken that bigger church, God still would have worked through his ministry and made things happen. But that's the renewing of the mind, testing things by the word of God, which has renewed your mind so you can discern what God's will is, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. And that word perfect simply means complete. Our overall attitude should be centered on God, his will, and his gospel. That's where we should be. Secondly, our function in the church. Verse 3. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. One of the hallmarks of the Pharisees was their obsession with rank and pecking order. I've been in longer than you. I've got a higher degree than you. I've got more knowledge and understanding than you. I'm more spiritually mature than you. Rank. Pecking order, maturity, the, who, who has the authority in this situation? That's what the Pharisees were consumed by. The Lord tells us that that's not the way we're supposed to operate. You go back to the words of Jesus where he says, you know how the Gentiles, that they are under men, that they are under kings and princes and powers and principalities. He goes, but it shall not be that way among you. We are not to operate like that. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. I had a lady tell me, she's like, you know, you and I are kind of on the same wavelength, Leland, but there's a lot of spiritual babies in this church, and that's what we've got to deal with. I'm like, I'm not going down this road with you. I'm not having this conversation. 
but I'm not going to sit here and entertain them. And she called names. I'm not going to sit here and entertain the notion that somehow you and I are more spiritually mature than so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. That's, that's wrong, and you will probably find they're more spiritually mature than you think. No, we're not going there. And we're not to think that way. How are we to think of ourselves? We are sinners saved by grace. You are a child of God, a sinner saved by grace, rescued from condemnation. And you know what? There is a self-esteem there. I'm not telling you to think badly of yourself. I'm not telling you to beat yourself up. Just realize who you are, a sinner saved by grace, who has been rescued from condemnation through Christ Jesus. And when you start thinking of yourself as a sinner saved by grace, you start seeing how you plug into the bigger picture more readily. When you start thinking of yourself as more spiritual than others, then you are thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. But we are not to think that way. We are to think with humility. We are to think of ourselves as sinners saved by grace, adopted into the family of God, and so is everybody else. You may not be on the same biblical, theological wavelength as me. You may not have come from my background, but you know what? We are both the same. Other people from different denominations, people who don't know the Lord at all. What makes us better? The grace of God is the only thing that separates us. You take a few key people out of my life, I'm right there with them. You put me in a different household growing up, you put me in a different seminary, I think differently. You people want to complain about different types of church members, a deacon who's overly concerned about the color of the carpet, the man who's concerned about whether we're singing hymns or praise choruses, the person who's concerned about the King James Version versus the ESV versus the NIV, I'm telling you that whichever side of the argument that you fall on on those particular situations, red carpet, blue carpet, tile, or stained concrete, all right? I, I don't know. I can't answer that question for you. They didn't teach us that in seminary. But I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you this. Everybody on all sides of that conversation are trying to do the best they can for the Lord. And we need to recognize that. Somebody who wants blue carpet, there's a reason they want blue carpet. I'll move on. Think with sober judgment. Not emotional, not partial, but true judgment. Verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. The human body has many different parts and each part has a different role. And each role is important. And if you don't think it's important, wait till you lose it and you'll realize just how important it was. The pinky toe, I think, is about the most useless part of my body. But when I stump it, I know just how important that thing is. And I'm told that if you ever lose your pinky toe, you've got to learn to walk all over again. I'm not experimenting with this. I will take that statement on faith. The belly button seems to be a fairly useless member of the body. But I have nightmares about that little knot in your belly button coming undone. And then what happens? You know? So, I mean, everything is important. You know, the brain gets the glory. The eyes get the attention. The ears, you know, they, they bring the music of the world into you. But, but every part of your body is important. And it's the same way with the church. We all have a different role in the church and in society at large. And in verses 6 through 8, we begin to talk about that. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, and don't be afraid of that, by the way. Prophecy simply means proclaiming the word of the Lord. 
If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. There are those that they don't have a lot of spiritual gifts, but they can make money. And so they, they're generous. And so their spiritual gift is in their generosity. Not in their, I'm just going to write a check and hope everything works out. But they see the need and they see the potential. And so they, they are actively participating in the work of the Lord by seeing a need and saying, this is what that need needs. Here's how we're going to make it happen. Generosity. Maybe it's not in giving to the church. Maybe the generosity is in giving to your neighbor who doesn't have anything next to you. It works that way. In generosity, where am I? In generosity, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who, who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. That gets kind of hard after a while, doesn't it? How to live your purpose. It's all right there in the scripture. If your gift is service, then serve. If your gift is teaching, then teach. If you're an encourager, then exhort. If God has blessed you richly and you're generous, then give your gift with generosity. Acts of mercy, do it cheerfully. Early on in our marriage, Jessica and I were expecting a baby. This happened a few times. Maybe you noticed. And being unable to fund the prenatal care and the delivery, we went to the Department of Health and Human Services and got on Medicaid to pay for the prenatal care and the delivery. Was that a fun day, Jess? Remember how warm and welcoming and loving everybody was in that building? Well, no. They were doing a good thing for us. The taxpayers were very generous to us. The people administering the aid were just a little burned out. I can understand why. I can understand why. You know where your generosity and your goodwill and your acts of mercy really have power? When you do it cheerfully. If you see what God is able to do, you become cheerful about those things. That's our functions within society and within the church. And finally, we're going to look at the hallmarks of the Christian life. In verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Let love be genuine. Do you know how many times I have had Christians come up to me and say, I love you, brother, but. And what follows the but is going to be something really dirty being done to me. A knife in the back, a betrayal, an unfair criticism, horrible things being said about my family or the church. I love you, but does that love mean anything? Do those words mean anything? No. If I say, I love you, Josh, but, hey. Gossip about Josh. That's not genuine love, right? And we don't get to claim love just because we say it. It's got to be genuine. So how do we let love be genuine? You really have to love people, which means you need to be falling in love with your brothers and your sisters in Christ. You need to be thinking, thinking about thinking, thinking. I'm texting. You need to be thinking about them throughout the week. Who are they? Where do they come from? Where are they going? What's going on in their lives? What's God doing in their lives? Let love be genuine. It is by this love that Jesus said that all people would know that you're his disciples. Verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 
we rejoice even when things are bad because we have confident expectations in the Lord. Things may be bad in the world today, but we rejoice. We are still able to have joy because we know that the Lord is, re is returning and he will rescue us from this. And we're looking forward to that day. We rejoice in hope. Be patient or endure tribulation. When things are bad, hard times, endure those hard times. And be constant in prayer. Consistently pray and trust the Lord. Verses 14 through 16, the hallmarks of the Christian life. We're rejoicing in hope. We're patient in tribulation. We're constant in prayer. Love is genuine. Check this out. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's hard. That's hard because I've had people who persecuted me. That's an overstatement of the word. I've had people do dirty things to me. Even that's a, I've had people that did things to me that I didn't like. And the temptation is to wish the, the hell of hailstones of fire upon their head. No. We're to bless them. We're to want good for them. And if they have a need, we're to meet those needs if we can. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be empathetic. Your neighbor's daughter just graduated high school and she's so excited. Be excited with her. The neighbor across the street just lost a loved one. Mourn with her. Weep with her. Be empathetic. Live in harmony with one another. Don't go around stirring controversy. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Associate with the lowly. Those people aren't good for growing the church, Brother Leland. We're going to associate with them anyway. We're going to minister to them anyway. We're not going to be embarrassed by each other. Do not be overcome by evil, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a quote by Dr. King that goes around at certain times, usually around his birthday, usually around February, and usually around any time that a major tragedy happens, like what happened in Uvalde. The quote says, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. I'm going to keep going. Pride cannot drive out pride. Only humility can do that. And unbelief cannot drive out unbelief. Only faith can do that. We can't, you cannot fight fire with fire. Especially in today's time when we don't get much rain and the wind is always at 25 miles per hour. That's not the time to do a controlled burn. Okay, Fire cannot fight fire. Only water can do that. We overcome evil with good. So what should our response to the gospel be? It should be faith. It should be belief. It should be trust. It should be allowing the gospel to change us. The things that I've mentioned, these are not things that come naturally. They don't come naturally to me, and they're not going to come naturally to you. Blessing those who, who curse me does not come naturally to me. We've got to let the gospel transform us we've got to let the spirit work in our lives what is our response to the gospel our response is to have an attitude that is shaped by the word of god to see what our role is and to fill that role and to do good to those around us with the hope and the purpose of them coming to know the lord as their savior 
that's how we are to live. Let's stand.